The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. Uh, you can call me whatever you like. And uh, you might notice, well, you probably don't notice if we're doing it right. Fingers but, crossed. Uh, fingers crossed if we're doing it right. We are recording in separate locations right now. Uh, we're recording over the telephone, and uh, we'll mm. we'll mix it all together and send it to you. Uh, this is uh, an experiment. Let's see how this works. Yeah, uh, for a variety of reasons, Whitney and I weren't able to get together and uh, uh, and record our usual way. We prefer to record in person because we find it makes the podcast more personable. But uh, you know what? We we managed to get through uh, a huge part of the pandemic without having to do this a lot. Yeah, so we, I'm just going to count our blessings. We were lucky in that, uh, you know, we our, our listeners know this. We're neighbors, and we we're able to sort of get together on the regular to do our podcast. And uh, luckily, when like lockdown first happened with the uh, with the pandemic, we didn't have to. Uh, podcasters were considered like essential workers, so we didn't have to stop doing anything. We could just sort of keep on getting <laughs> together and doing the podcast. So that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, now. Uh, Two years later, we're going to try this for the first time. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, we might have some hiccups here and there. Hopefully the audio quality uh, can be maintained and I don't completely screw up the edit. Uh, but in any case, we just want to, you know, if it sounds weird, that's why. Uh, in any case, we are back with Cancel Too Soon. Uh, this is one of our favorite shows that we do uh, because it gives us an opportunity to explore some of television's greatest failures, some of its most obscure failures, uh, all the failures, basically. And, Hooray uh, for failure! Woo! And if there's one thing that fans of Cancel Too Soon know, is that Whitney and I have a soft spot for failed sci-fi television. Specifically, failed hour-long sci-fi television from the 1990s. Uh, well, yeah. that's that's kind of like the sweet spot for us. But uh, yeah, like l- failed low-budget, especially if it's really ambitious science fiction TV shows, are kind of our jam. And um, for the most part, we've we've actually found some pretty good ones. Uh, I think among the highlights were uh, I like the Flash, the TV series. Flash uh, was great. The original 1990s TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not the new TV series. Uh, I I really liked uh, Almost Human. That was a really good one. The one with Mm -hmm. Michael Ely and Carl Urban. Uh, Super expensive. You can see why it was it was canceled. Uh, Earth 2 was quite the find. That that show was really uh, fantastic. We've even run into some really awesome failed pilots. There was a really good Disney failed pilot, wasn't it? What was it called? Star Command? Is that the one with like... Yeah. The, uh, yeah, oh, the teenagers, um, teenagers are sent into well, outer space and the, the trip is going to take so long that they send teenagers knowing that they're going to be on that ship until they're 
old people. So it's Star Trek, but they were all kids. But there was actually a good justification for it, and that was a pretty good show. Yeah, that that came out. That one was also the mid '90s, uh, and yeah, it was just called Star Command, which yeah. is, uh, or, or if you want to, it was also known as In the Fold. If you want to look up the like the actual episode title, but uh, one particular genre of. Uh, sci-fi television series has kind of fallen by the wayside uh, with the exception of the franchise that kind of solidified it. Uh, Star Trek, uh, which as I think any fan of our show knows, uh, is a show that Whitney and I love. We have a Patreon podcast dedicated explicitly to every single episode of Star Trek ever. Uh, But Star Trek helped sort of craft this idea of a show about one spaceship crew full of ensemble cast members who go on a series of adventures uh, as they sit in chairs and stare at a screen for half of the episode. Uh, it's been ripped off many, many times, sometimes to great effect, sometimes to very, very poor <clears throat> effect. But it tends to be a rather expensive type of show compared to a lot of the other sci-fi shows that would bear on something like the sci-fi network, which is something like, yeah, it's sci-fi, but we can mm. also shoot it low budget and on the street in Canada without permits. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm wondering... it, it, but it's a genre that's always fun to watch though. And it's, it's rare yeah. to find it in the 21st century. I'm wondering what the first show was, uh, that like Star Trek clearly wasn't the, the first show that have like a command center on a starship where yeah. everyone is sort of like seated at their stations and facing essentially a big TV screen. Uh, well, I I'm think, trying to think I th- of like what, like, cause I swear I've seen that in like a 1950s movie before. Oh yeah. Well, where well I think what, yeah, they're making it look Sorry, a little no. bit less like a NASA space shuttle or a submarine and more like, uh, like trying to design it to look like a, a functional starship bridge. Well, I think where it comes Mm. from is um, there would be a lot of uh, movies and television uh, where people would be in the cockpit of an airplane. And in order to do that inexpensively, you just put the camera in front of them as if we're looking through the windshield. And then we just have two or three people in chairs with, you know, uh, joysticks in front of them. uh, And they're pretending to be in an airplane and they're staring at the camera. And I think we kind of got used to that. As a visual motif. And so when we started getting more sci-fi shows, which in the 1950s were mostly for children, it was stuff mm. like Rocky Jones and Captain Video. I think if memory serves, I feel like Captain Video did that. And okay. but it was but it was halfway between what we would now consider like the Star Trek approach and just this is the shot we have of the cockpit of the spaceship because we already associate this angle with the cockpit of an airplane and so it sells the idea that it's a spaceship. Does that yeah, make sense? Fair. Got, yeah. yeah no, okay. Got it. In any case, uh, but I think, and this is, I think, particularly relevant to the show that we're about to review. Um, you, it, it doesn't take a lot of money. Uh, to put like a couple of chairs in front of a backdrop oh. and have them oh. and have them point off camera. Boy, how do you know? Not especially not with this show. <laughs> we found a show, and and honestly, we just found it randomly. It happened to pop up on the streaming service Tubi, which is a free streaming service with ads, mm. which has a quite staggering amount of uh, relatively obscure or uh, lesser known uh, television and movies. And uh, they have it's a lot of TV shows, on, uh, some of which we plan to get to. Yeah, it's also on Freevee, okay. which was the um, 
the IMDb uh, streaming service. Oh, there you go. Uh, but in any case, we stumbled across this particular program, and we thought the premise sounded kind of cool, and it stars some sci-fi royalty. Uh, some of the stars of Babylon 5 and The Empire Strikes Back are main characters on the show. Uh, and, uh, and so we're like, oh, cool, let's watch this uh, uh, unknown Star Trek-esque television series. And boy, did we watch it. We, uh, we, we, we really stepped in it this time, didn't we? Oh Lynn, my tell goodness. Tell what show we're talking about today. Well, it's not Star Trek. It's Star Hike. The year is 3034. We have medically suppressed our emotions to stop our conscious. We are a cold, clinical race and do not tolerate those who will not conform to our image. We are at war with the Reptids, one of the last remaining alien races. The Reptids have one final plan that could change the human race forever. One obstacle remains in their path. The crew of the Dreadnought Nemesis. Okay, so Star Hike is uh, so a very low-budget Star Trek riff uh, that initially takes place like a, like a thousand years in the future. Uh, when humanity, and this yeah. is the part I think is kind of neat, humanity has become the all-powerful evil invading force in the universe. They have been like exterminating planets left and right. They are the Empire. They are the Borg. And one of the reasons why they're so evil is that they have uh, neutralized their emotions. And now they are nothing but basically... Uh, um, cold callous killbots in space and their final uh uh enemy is a species called the reptids which in the opening episode have one last ditch uh play to make which sets the whole series in motion and that play is it is a bomb that activates all the emotions back in humanity so yeah, cool cool idea for like a big budget sci-fi pilot series. Yeah. Uh and uh and they also have time travel abilities, which is uh significant these reptids. Uh the main ship is called the uh it's called the the Dreadnought Nemesis. Nemesis. The Dreadnought Nemesis yeah. is the main ship with the, the it we spend most of our time on a human ship. And uh, the Reptids have this part of their last-ditch effort also takes them back in time to the 21st century on Earth. I don't know why they just didn't say when it was... Or I guess it was, it was shot in the 21st century. Um, a few vitals before we, uh, we, we move forward. This was originally broadcast on a network called Showcase TV in uh, December of 2011. However, the film was shot in 2004. Uh, so... <laughs> It was shot in 2004, and it was completed in 2004. And then, for whatever reason, all the six episodes that they had made, they couldn't find a network to actually bother broadcasting it. So, they sort of hung on to it for about five years. It was on a shelf, when they finally just gave up and released it on home video. So there's a home video edition from 2009... And then two years later in 2011, it finally broadcast on TV, making it eligible for Cancelled Too Soon. So the six episodes were all that we ever made. It wasn't like it was going to broadcast and get picked up for a second season. It was kind of... It had already been dead. It for was pre-cancelled. Like yeah, for like seven years before it had a chance to be cancelled in earnest. 
And you so, know what? I find, I think that's plucky. I I admire. Uh, it's it's the, a little the, sad, is what it is. It, it well, but like you, you, they never gave up, did they? They found a they found a home for this damn thing, and good for them. And regardless of what we're about to say about the show itself, I admire the Moxie. They put together the show. They made the show. No one wanted mm-hmm. the show, and they waited around until they found a goddamn home for it. And now we get to make a podcast about it. And I'm going to say this: whatever else I may say about the show. Good for them. I like well, you your know premise. What? I'm actually impressed by some of the cast <laughs> you put together. There's some good ideas to be found in this show. Kudos to you for getting it out there. Uh, and and it it look the problem is it looks like a student project. This show is so fucking cheap. Uh, like we're, we're talking about sort of the the way a starship bridge looks. This is literally like office chairs with like sheets of plexiglass in front of them. This is like mm. sub 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 red dwarf level of budgeting. Uh, all the rooms are like really sort of cramped, except some of them which look like they filmed inside of a, a warehouse are really really big. And then when they finally go to visit Earth, it's it's it reminded me of that antique mall in the Ghostbusters, where they just like went to the cheapest neighborhood they could find and right. like shot in an alleyway somewhere. And it. And yet it's it's so bizarre to see this because I, I expected it to see I expected to see like a friend of mine in it. Like this is something a friend <laughs> of mine had made. And it's completely bizarre because instead we have Claudia Christian leading this entire affair. Claudia Christian, yeah. you might know from uh, I guess her most famous sci-fi role is Babylon 5. Um, but she's mm-hmm. actually had a, a really long acting career otherwise. I was a uh, fan right of now, her she's... from The Hidden. She was uh, she had a small but very memorable role in a really awesome sci-fi horror movie uh, starring Kyle MacLachlan from the '80s about a, uh, a alien parasite that came to Earth just to joyride and it jumped from body to body committing crimes. Uh, mm. And she's one of the she's one of the host bodies in that, and she's clearly having a lot of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Claudia Christie from Babylon Five is in it. Yeah, uh, she was also in uh, Maniac Cop too. Uh, mm-hmm. She was in a gnome named Gnorm. Uh, she was in a really odd film called The Dark Backward. She was in a, a spoof movie from the 90s called Hexed. Uh, and she was in Arena. So she's been around. Uh, I love Arena so much. Arena, Arena if you've never seen good. it. Arena, if you've never seen it, is a sci-fi movie from the creators of the 1990s The Flash television series. And it's basically, hey, what if Babylon 5... Deep Space Nine and Rocky had a love child, and that's but it, the the premise. But it but it was like the late eighties, so it actually predates some of those things. And a lot of the cast members yeah. from Deep Space Nine, uh, were like both um, Mark Alimo who played Gul Dukat and Armin Shimmerman who played Quark, uh, have very similar roles in Arena. Yeah, it's like Armin Shimmerman plays like roles. a. Armin Zimmerman plays a, a Weasley guy who is constantly trying to scam people aboard the space station. Mark Alimo plays, like, the guy who is... Uh, this is more of the backstory from Deep Space Nine, but he plays, like, the evil guy who runs the space station. And then you got Claudia Christian, who plays a boxing promoter. Uh, but it's boxing between, like, humans and, like, robots and, like, double-sized monsters. Like, it's pretty cool. Uh, but in addition to Claudia Christian uh, on the show, the other big uh, piece of sci-fi royalty on here is Jeremy Bullock, who 
is a name you might know, or maybe you would only know him in costume because he was the original guy who played Boba Fett before Tamara Morrison took over the role in the Star Wars prequels. And then it turned out he was a clone of Jango Fett, and so they, like, redubbed uh, Jeremy Bullock over, and, you know, his role was minimized. But he's still Star Wars royalty. uh, Well, Jeremy Bullock's performance is all there because it wasn't his voice as Boba Fett, from what I understand. They got a different actor to do that. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, then never mind. All right, well, then I remembered it wrong. But in any case, he's only got like three lines in the original uh, trilogy anyway. So, uh, mm-hmm. But in any case, he's here. Uh, Claudia Christian plays the captain of the ship. Uh, her name is Captain Belinda Blowhard, which should let should you know you, uh, the tone that yeah. we're working with. <laughs> because uh, what we described sounds kind of cool, like kind of badass, kind of like, it's got kind of like a Star Trek kind of quality where we're going to deal with like people stepping outside of their comfort zones and like humanity has lost their emotions and this whole crew gets their emotions back and what a journey of rediscovery that is. And then it turns out one of the characters is named Captain Belinda Blowhard. Yeah, well, and and let's go through uh, like all of the... the quote, funny cast names, because Belinda Blowhard is the captain. Mm-hmm. There's a character in it uh, named... If you just see it on the page, it's Vilma Down. But mm. if if you say it in just the right way, it's supposed to sound like Vilma Down, like Feel Me Down. Oh, I oh I just got that. Mm. I only just got that. Uh, my <laughs> personal favorite, Sally Popyatopov. Popyatopov. Yeah, uh, and there's a character named Ensign Ens- Bullox or or Bullox or Bollocks. It's supposed to be Bollocks. Uh, this this is supposed Got to it. be. Uh, uh, I was incredibly dismayed to learn that Star Hike is a low budget sex farce. It's actually it not is. so interested in science fiction as it is in really body jokes. And the premise of the show is. Uh, the Dreadnought Nemesis has been thrown back in time, and when they're back in time, they no longer have access to, uh, I think it's a drug that dampens their emotions. No, it's not like the drug. It's the, 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 well, it's, it's, the drug is irrelevant. It's the machine that the Reptids, like the bomb that the Reptids set off, was designed to give humans their emotions back. So now humanity oh, okay. would actually have things like sympathy and love and actually might be willing to stop conquering the universe Mm -hmm. uh and so now they are trapped back in the past and they are experiencing emotions that they've never felt before and as a result they're there's a lot of there's a lot of easy jokes here but basically everyone's having sex with each other everyone's experiencing the joys of booze for the very first time everyone's eating lots of chocolate like it's just Kind of just the most obvious gags you can possibly imagine with that material. Yeah, it's, the uh, yeah, the central gag is uh, all of their emotions have been let loose, and so has their lust. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. now everybody is re- really just sort of drooling all over each other and distracted by how sexy everything yeah. is. And and, and on top of that, like they're fantasizing. Yeah, they're fantasizing about each other in various states of undress. The The level of sophistication uh, when it comes to the sort of production quality, the sound design, the set design, uh, with the exception of some of the better members of the cast, which is not limited to Claudia Christian and Jeremy Bullock. There's a few people doing really good jobs here. Um, mm. But the overall tone and feel of this is this should be a Skinamax sex comedy where we're just doing mm. we're doing sexy Star Trek, 
we built the Star Trek set, and every episode, like, two of the members are going to get naked or have sex, and the plot will be pretty perfunctory and hokey. And that's the overall vibe we expect from this. But Star Hike, I guess, is too classy for that, and it never actually shows us anything terribly prurient. It just makes really... Uh, uh, really immature jokes, uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it has a general overall vibe of sleaziness, which somehow makes the sex even worse. Like if if this was <laughs> like in in a hot springs hotel type scenario where we we're just here to get prurient stories of nudity, we're we're here to essentially get porn fantasies. That's what this yeah. is. We're we're trapped in the future with all of these hot hot people and all they're horny for the first time. And you know, if you're you're a young pornography consumer, you can project yourself into that scenario. Oh, it wouldn't be great to get it on with all of these space people. So why don't mm-hmm. we undress them? And there's no pretense. We're just gonna have the sex. Yeah. And we understand in that context that if we're making a lot of really stupid jokes. We we understand that it's all there just to sort of get the sex to us. That as I, I described, Husbring's mm-hmm. Hotel as a breast delivery system, and that's that's all we really <laughs> that that's all we should come to expect from something like, like Star Hike. Are you delivering breasts and buttocks? <laughs> Great. Uh, in not doing so, it highlights just how disgusting those jokes are, and I'm yeah. laughing less be, as a result. Yeah. Uh, now I'll I'll say this, the jokes are pretty unilaterally unfunny. There's not a lot going on here that's worthy of too many chuckles. There's like a no. moment here and there that might get get a little titter out of you. Uh, there's a, a bit in I think it's the second episode where um, Claudia Christian uh, has has decided that she's just hungry all the time and she's having a picnic. And so there's a, a great bit where she's just like eating a, a six foot hoagie and drinking a glass of wine on the bridge. And she's just doing this really f- funny physical bit with the food. Uh, yeah. I will give Claudia Christian, th- I, I think, some credit. I think she's really throwing herself into this and just saying to herself, I get to play a starship captain who is the most inappropriate starship captain that has ever been captured on film. She clearly thinks that's funny. She's clearly eager to undermine this image we have of a quote-unquote starship captain as being stalwart or heroic or even evil. And Mm. while she doesn't get a lot of good material, I think she is giving a decent comic performance because I think more than anyone else, she understands the assignment. She understands that we are undermining something that is familiar. And only therein Mm. lies a joke. I think uh, I agree. I think Claudia Christian is is finally bringing it. Uh, there's is is excuse me more uh, most intensely bringing it. I feel mm. like uh, another actress. Her name is Sue Ann Brown. She plays the android mm. character. Her name uh, yeah. the android is named Dottie because Dottie. Dot. She's very Dottie. You see. Uh, yeah. I think she is also bringing it. I think because she has a little bit more of a character to work with. She can kind of have, like, glitching moments and uh, sort of those android, please explain it to me kind of moments. Everyone else uh, is uh, saddled with such crap that they just do not <laughs> avail themselves well. 
let, let's talk about the main cast and let's talk a little bit about their characters. Uh, Claudia Christian plays uh, the tough captain who is starting to feel sexual pangs and uh, desires to binge to binge eat. And that's kind of the whole shtick there. Dottie is kind of actually a fun idea for a sci-fi character. Uh, Dottie isn't just Data. Dottie is actually a person sharing a body with an android. So they are a cyborg and they have a human personality and an android personality in the same body. And sometimes they both interact over the course of a conversation. And I think that's a neat concept. I think in a, in a more serious sci-fi story, there's something you could actually do with that. Uh, and I think Sue Ann Braun, who is probably best known outside of this for their recurring role in the Princess Switch movies... Uh, which are surprisingly <laughs> fun movies. Oh my god! Uh, okay, those movies make money. Those movies are people subscribe to Netflix for those films. Um, anyway, she's funny in them. Um, but that's a neat idea. Uh, next up, we've got the Doctor. The Doctor is named Doctor Stryker. The Doctor is played by Jeremy Bullock, and I'm not sure. I, I feel like Jeremy Bullock's whole thing is he was told everyone on the ship suddenly got their emotions. But you're the one who has actually been driven completely mad. Because he is this weird, horny, mad scientist uh, character who mm. is just... I guess he's just the funny guy because there's not much more to it than that. But he gets to play a little broad. Um, well, he, next up we, yeah. his character is that he... Um, he's like the scientifically minded one. He's supposed to be a little, a little bit more logical. And when he yeah. finally got emotions back, his only recourse was to experiment. He wanted to have, like, a, uh, emotional and sexual experiments. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of Which, it again, it's him. a mad scientist kind of vibe. It's fun. It, it, it can be mm. fun. It can also be kind of creepy. But uh, let's see here. We've got... Uh, next up, we've got uh, Lieutenant Commander Wu Oof, or Woof. Mm. Get it? It's, it's, it's a thing you might say in a in a in a, in a in, I don't know. Actually, it sounds really inappropriate. Anyway, uh, she's played by <laughs> it Rachel. Is, it Grant. is inappropriate. All of, all of the of horrible jokes you're thinking of, they they meant. Yeah. Anyway, she's played by Rachel Grant, who is actually a Bond girl. She was in Die Another Day, uh, and her character is initially uh, this like cold, steel-hearted assassin. So she gets like a lot of fight scenes. But when she gets her emotions, she also becomes very aggressively sexual, uh, violently well, ag aggress so. aggressive all aggressive all around. But yes, also aggressively yeah. sexual. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got Commander William C. Cropper, which um, I guess is a joke. I I don't get. Uh, and he's played by Brad Gordon. I don't know. I'm, yeah. Anyway, he's played by Brad Gordon, and uh, he's the guy. Uh, the main cast is actually, like, very uh, women-dominated, which is pretty cool for a sci-fi series like this, or just in general. Mm. Um, but yeah, he plays, like, the hunky guy who is very horny, and uh, the various women on the ship lust after him. He sleeps with a few. Uh, and uh, he really doesn't have much of a personality other than he's the hot guy. He He's the... Uh... And this is something that's uh, frustrated me about a lot of these softcore porn things, which, you know, I've, I admit, I've seen a couple of them, uh, but I used sure. to intern for Roger Corman. I was uh, in the vicinity of one uh, Jim Wynorski who directed a lot of these smutty mm -hmm. movies. 
and uh, look up Jim White. He did stuff like uh, he did stuff like the Bear Wench Project. Yeah, uh, he, classy he's Jim. Some, he's done some like legit B movies in the past, but yeah, for the most part, he just he did, does these kind of smutty movies. Perhaps and, most uh, notably, he did the he did the superhero movie Return of Swamp Thing. Yeah, that was Jim Wynorski. Yeah, which uh, is very fun, but very stupid. I remember Jim Wynorski in an interview saying that uh, one of the secrets to making this kind of softcore smut was y- you, uh, you cast really sort of plain or even schlubby men opposite, you know, the, hmm. the Playboy Playmates and the models that you cast as the women. And his idea was... Uh, that's sort of like an avatar for the audience. His yeah. in his mind, the audience is like a, sh- a schlubby guy is watching this, so he wanted to put that character in the movie, and that's a little frustrating. Uh, it it makes the whole thing feel like even more sexist. Like we can't exploit the men equally as the women, so we're just going to have the men be you know n- not not made to be alluring at all. They're just made to be kind of like plain avatars for the audience. There's the assumption that women aren't watching this to be aroused, that literally only Mm. men are. And it's funny because I remember uh, in the 90s when uh, the Skinamax wave of cinema, which again, if you're, you're, we haven't talked about this in a while, but, um, and you can still kind of watch it now, but back in the 90s when people had pay cable, HBO, Cinemax, mostly Cinemax, um, after a certain hour, usually around eleven o'clock, <clears throat> excuse me, they would stop playing mainstream, well-known movies, and they would start playing erotic films. Uh, these would not mm. typically be pornographic films, although sometimes they would like cut out the hardcore sexuality and show that show just the the plot basically. Uh, but usually, it would be some kind of like erotic thriller that was done with a low budget but it would have a semi-known actress in it like Joan Severance or Shannon Tweed um mm. and there was a, a series of television uh, shows some relatively well respected like the Red Shoe Diaries some not like Hot Springs Hotel uh, and I remember <laughs> reading at the time there were a variety of articles and, and stuff like Los Angeles Times Entertainment Weekly that was basically talking about you know we don't talk about this a lot but this dominates the airwaves on cable after a certain hour people are watching it and we did some some poking around and we realized that actually a large audience for this is women like there was a large mm-hmm. audience for the softcore smut. That was not what I expect a lot of people assumed the target demographic was. Uh, mm. So the assumption that women aren't watching it is a, a little sexist. Uh, and by a little, I mean kind of a lot. And the assumption that you can't yeah. <laughs> make that content for them is extremely sexist. Uh, so mm. that's frustrating. It always is. Um, yeah. And again, so let's get back to the to the main cast. Uh, let's see. We've got as so uh, the previously mentioned chief engineer Sally Papiatopov uh, is played by Stephanie Jory, who only has a couple of credits on IMDb, and I'm like literally two. Uh, they also she, uh, she was also in a TV miniseries called The Day They Came to Suck Out Our Brains, oh, and she I'm, was in an episode. She was in an episode called The Brain Sucking Begins. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad it did. They're they're not underselling that one. 
Um, um, I actually quite like her a lot. I think she's she 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 has a, she's a one joke character, uh, wherein uh, she plays a. Uh, 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 she's the engineer. Uh, well, she's the engineer, and so she's always hitting things with a wrench. Uh, she's the only character who, for whatever reason, can't seem to have sex. Everyone else is having <laughs> sex judiciously, and she, for whatever reason, she can't, which is a joke that doesn't even make sense. They're not even being terribly discerning. They're just sleeping with everyone on the ship. Uh, so well, it's a weird gag. I, I, it, I guess, you know, I, I understand, like the gag of the frustrated character, but yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. Like for her character in particular, uh, by the time they get to the sixth episode, they're, they're essentially just having an orgy on the ship and they're dr- over, you know, drinking too much and overeating. And she actually like has a flashback to what she was doing that night. And, uh, she was doing a lot of overeating. She's like smearing cake frosting all over her face. And mm. I admire any performer who is willing to like go the double dare route and just get as messy mm. as possible on camera. So mm. good on her. Good on her. She, she had a, brought yes. a lot of energy, not funny just because the material was so bad, but she was really, really trying. Yeah. Uh, next up we have, uh, what was his name? Uh, Ensign Bull Ox, who was a really big guy who doesn't talk. That's it. That's mm. the character. Bullocks. That's all we got. B- bollocks. Bollocks. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Nurse Sandy Beach, uh, which I don't even want to think about. What, I, I don't get it. But anyway, uh, Sandy, they, it, they're a nurse. I don't think that's a sex reference. I think it's just a, a beach is a sandy place. Oh, okay. I'll just, just let it go. It, yeah. Yeah, but in any case, they're they're a nurse, and they they seem rather nice. They don't actually have a lot of uh, character or anything going on. Uh, next up, we have there's a couple of maintenance crew members uh, who are introduced rather late, and they're just wacky, funny people who are constantly doing things like losing their pet space gerbil and having Aww. to search for it down people's pants. Uh, we have. <laughs> What a, what a what a treat! Uh, so we've got uh, we had we already mentioned Vilma Down, uh, who is uh, played by Fiona Reynard, who was also in the Neil Gaiman movie Mirror Mask. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting flick. Uh, and then there is uh, Simon Lewis, uh, who plays Reginald Montague Duck. I I also Which... don't I I shudder, I don't even want to ask. Um, Montague Duck is a very, uh, like, Terry Pratchett kind of name. True. Uh, And then lastly, we've got uh, uh, the ship's hologram. So in addition to having an android, they also have a hologram. Uh, The hologram is played by Gene Fode. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Who actually has a pretty extensive uh, uh, filmography. Not a lot of stuff that I'm familiar with, but he's... It goes back pretty far, and he's still working today. He's uh, recently in a series called All Quiet on the Holmes Front. Hmm. Uh, I guess uh, he was also in play- something called uh, No Place Like Holmes. So I so guess it, these are Sherlock Holmes-related materials. Um, uh, that would be my best guess. <laughs> I got nothing. He, he uh, and uh, because this is such a cheap show... Um, 
it's it's even worse than on Red Dwarf, where the hologram character has just the letter H pasted to his head to denote that he's a hologram. Uh, in oh, this yeah. one, they, there's like a, a little bit of like a video toaster kind of uh, visual effect where he emerges from the wall behind the captain's chair. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, that, that, that's yeah. all we got to denote that he's an, a hologram. Uh, the, the hologram is allegedly the only character on the ship who has not been affected by the emotion bomb. Uh, but uh, he is joined by the ship's computer, who is uh, voiced by an actress named Sue Witheridge, uh, who has mostly worked on stuff like... They've been like a production manager on like mm. a lot of things, a lot of like documentary-type stuff. Uh, but um, the ship's computer also has a bunch of emotions now, which... Is a funny idea. Star Trek literally did that. Uh, there was an episode uh, on, on where a, a couple different times. Uh, yeah, I think it might have been the Practical Joker on the animated series where they first did that story. Well, they did the one where um, it was an incidental joke. It had, didn't connect to the a plot at all. But uh, there was an episode of the original series where they had just like gone to a space station for repairs, but the space station. If memory serves, the gag was the space station was mostly populated by women, so they decided to give it a woman's personality, and so it was, like, oh, a little flirtatious. Yeah, it's a, like, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I think he called the captain Darling or something like that. Yeah, a deer, I think. Deer, yes, yeah. deer. The captain's like, can we change that? That's a little <laughs> awkward. Um, so, uh, so that's the main cast, and uh, this has, the show only had six episodes. And uh, there's not a lot to any of them. The first episode is one of the more ambitious because it actually starts off with like big space battles. And it's pretty lo-fi, but the ambition is clearly there. They wanted to capture the space battle. Um, and uh, at, again, at first, there aren't even any jokes. And I actually appreciate the restraint it takes when you're trying to make a comedy show mm. about characters who aren't funny, who become funny. And they don't tip their hat too early. Like, they actually try to make it seem like a real show. It's belied by the production quality, but still, hmm. the a storytelling attempt is appreciated. Uh, and then the second half of the episode <laughs> is they are in the they're in, they're in the past. They're in the past, and uh, yeah, they got these emotions, and it, isn't that weird? And they go down to planet Earth, and they're like getting like a fight in a cafe or something, and then they stop. <laughs> they just that's it well there's also like a reptid like this alien you know, reptile species mm -hmm. that like ends up on their ship and there's this one really confusing bit where he like lasers the floor underneath him and he allegedly he's falling oh, between God. floor and yeah. floor and floor yeah. but the visual gag does not sell at all it's just confusing to watch and well, it's, it's kind of so, hurts to look at. It's really badly edited because they keep cutting to the same shot of the same hallway. And then yeah. they superimpose over that hallway this really nonsensical visual effect that's supposed to be his body falling in front of the camera. But yeah. it happens so quickly and it's so badly composited that you can't really see what's going on. And it almost feels like this weird experimental like video short for a second. Yeah. Uh I think that's about all I have to say about the, the first series. Uh, mm. The next one, uh, sorry, the, the first uh, episode. That's what they have on television. Mm. Episodes. 
Uh, <laughs> let's see. What was that? What was the next? The next episode was the uh, the smuggler episode. Uh, yeah, where um, they meet uh, a smuggler uh, who is who is offering to like sell them chocolate and things, but they're actually just stealing stuff on the ship and making everyone hallucinate with the biological weapon. Um, uh, and the biological weapon is like a guy, like there's this little blue man, like a a, a short, short blue guy in a fez is running around and he's making everybody hallucinate. And yeah, he's, of course the hallucinations are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course the hallucinations are all sexy, sexy times. And, uh, everybody is imagining one another in their underwear. And that's, that's kind of it. Um, I, oh, and I know that, uh, it introduced the notion that, um, Captain Blowhard is now addicted to chocolate. Like she, she now needs food, and that's a new sort of side effect of them having emotions again. As they, they are all um, uh, gluttonous. Yeah, they're they're emotionally eating, not just for practical purposes, but because it it, it feels good and tastes good, and mm. that's all they care about. Now, there's actually a cute bit because they're all new at this, even the doctor, and so she's talking to the doctor. And she's like, I just, I, I, I tried chocolate and it's amazing and I want chocolate all the time now. And the doctor's like, that's interesting. So your body is telling you something. You should eat as much chocolate as you possibly can. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and that's <laughs> kind of a funny joke. That's kind of a gag. Um, the next episode is called Kill Jill. Uh, and in this one, they, uh, they beam down. They have beaming technology. Uh, to basically a strip mall where a bunch of like aliens, <laughs> so, they've, they've oh tracked God. a bunch of aliens to a strip mall. So and the, the one, the gag that they have is that uh, in order to be inconspicuous on Earth, they all dress like they're in the Matrix. They all have like long black coats and sunglasses. Um, and naturally they get into a... Bless the actors, they're doing acrobatics, but it's not filmed very well. Like fight sequence in a hallway, mm. uh, and then they they eat some cake, and then they like shoot a guy who wants to help them. Well, they're they're, then, they're trying to get in. Yeah. Is this is the one where they're trying to get behind, like in some sort of sub basement, and there's like other sci- sci-fi people there. They want to stop the sci-fi people, but the sci-fi people don't want to be stopped. And it turns out the mm-hmm. other sci-fi people were just having a birthday. Uh, so they interrupt yeah. the birthday and uh, they they accidentally on purpose kill the guy who might have been able to help them get them information that they needed. And then at the end, Poppy Topoff manages to get what I'm deeply confused by. It's like some kind of like, it's not a blow-up doll because it's an actual person that is created from like a tiny thing like you press a button and it creates a it creates a man who yeah. will oh, do yeah. anything a, for you who looks yeah, a lot like really... he looks a lot like a Diedrich Bader from uh, um, Office Space like kind of this mullet mm. mullet looking guy so like she 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 acquires this man and she clearly wants to to sex the man <laughs> and then she 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 whips him out and then he doesn't even look bad he just doesn't look like conventionally hot like he's not Mm. he's not a particularly unattractive human being yeah by any by any casual measure so she looks at him and goes oh he's like a six hmm bummer and that's the end like what uh what 
I, I guess the gag is they they design this this like sex robot and she doesn't mm. find him that particularly sexy. Oh. Like uh, it's like a mistake in manufacture. I guess mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not not really. Again, cool. it's it, the joke is that she's frustrated. Sexual frustration is yeah. is funny. Yeah. Uh the next episode and this one is where they actually start trying to tell a real story. There's it's called two, Reboot. There's two episodes where they try to do a story. Yeah. And and honestly, the premise for this one, not a bad idea, basically, for an episode. Uh, but uh, the ship crashes. Uh, and they're trapped there. And uh, the doctor wants to, like, what they says, we're going to build our own colony. And that's the only thing we can do. We just make a home here. However, there is a plan, uh, and you're going to have to explain this to me because I'm a little confused by it. There's Uh a guy who shows up from the future. Shortly after he does, the ship crashes. They start a colony. But there's a plan to send a message back in time from the future, right? No, the plan was to um, send a message forward in time to their original selves before they were thrown back in time to the 21st century. Oh, okay. And uh, so that, yeah, they were trying to find a way to, uh, like, leave some sort of remnant of themselves that would be found in the distant future when they were back in their normal time, back in the uh, 31st century. Right. And so uh, starting but, a colony of people would, would allow them to live longer and longer and longer and get that message to the future. Uh, I, I think they, like, were having some trouble find. There was, like, some lines of dialogue uh, to the effect where they couldn't find a technology or something that was long-lasting enough that would right. uh, last into the future and uh, would also, like, be broadcasting a signal so no, someone would think to look for it. Um, right. And as they are attempting to do this, more and more time is passing, and the crew is growing older, and they're just a- aging out. And this is, like, cool science fiction stuff where uh, you know they can actually play around with time. And Mm -hmm. they have kids, and the kids grow up, and one of the kids is an adult by the end of the episode. Um, Very reminiscent of the Ice Pirates, uh, which has a really fun Mm. uh, time travel sort of twist at the end, where the main characters start aging out, and the the hero ends up being, like, the baby that was just born a few minutes ago. Uh, Like, grows into an adult and becomes this badass warrior, like, within an hour. Mm. I, I like any episode of television, and it's almost always sci-fi, where mm. because most episodes of television take place over a day, a couple of days, maybe even just an hour. Uh, but I always appreciate an episode where all of a sudden an episode takes place over like a 80 years. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's like we, we got through something like really gigantic and epic. And of course it's undone at the end. It turns out that the guy who came uh, to them from the future was in love with Captain Blowhard. And knew that the only way they could live their life together is if they crashed the ship and started a colony, which is actually a funny idea. Uh, and uh, in the end, uh, their son sends Claudia Christian back in time uh, to when that guy showed up uh, and uh, has her kill him. Kill the man that she would grow to love, kill the father of her child so that that guy won't ever be born but also so that the ship won't crash and they won't be screwed forever. Um, Which is, again, there's an actual, almost like Harlan Ellison poetry to that. Well, the the issue is this is a really shallow, kind of shoddily written show so there's not a discussion about well, we've lived our whole lives here, we're actually like 
calmer and more comfortable with our emotions now. We kind of like living here. Mm. And the ethics of correcting the timeline, uh, it no longer like comes into play. They don't have that conversation. Uh, they, yeah. they, they don't say, they just sort of say, well, you know, status quo, we just need to do it. So that's what they do. And everything is essentially back to status quo by the next episode. Yeah. Um, next up is an episode called plug and play. Uh, if memory serves, this is the one where everyone wakes up with a giant hangover. No, that's the last episode. That's, that's lock. Oh, was that the last that's episode? That's lo- okay. Chuck and flying hogs. Uh, this is the, this is the strip club episode. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> of course there's a strip club episode. Of course there's a strip club if, episode. If, oh my god. Where they have, yeah, so like it turns out it, it turns out there are aliens hiding out on Earth in a strip club. And so in order to investigate the strip club, uh uh Topov and Wu have to become uh sex workers at the club uh in order to sort of root out the alien alleged menace, even though they don't seem that bad. Mm. Uh so naturally there's a lot of bras. A lot, lot. You will see bras. A lot, lot of bras. Yeah. A lot of thong underpants. Um, yeah. Hey, William, you've seen Femalian, right? <laughs> no, actually, I haven't seen Femalian. You haven't seen Femalian? Oh my goodness, you're missing. No, nothing. I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one. <laughs> Femalian. Uh, th- I couldn't stop thinking about Femalian while I'm watching uh, specifically this <laughs> episode of Star Hike, just because. Uh-huh. Femalian is about uh, like hyper intelligent energy beings. They're like beings of light, and they have to experiment with what it's like to have bodies for the first time. So they create physical human bodies, which of course get really horny, and they just have a lot of sex. It is un- unabashedly uh, soft uh, smut. And they made two sequels of this thing: Femalian Two and Femalian Colon Cosmic Crush. Um, and and again, we're back in this this idea of using these movies as just sort of a delivery system for prurient thrills. We're just here to see these people get their kits off. And again, when you don't do that, Mm -hmm. when you take the sex out, it's just, it's just, it's the worst part of the, it becomes so less, so much less savory. Like when, when you're in an exploitation movie, you know why you're here. When, when, you're in an exploitation movie yeah. that's not giving you exploitation, then why are we even watching this? When you, when the tone of an exploitation movie, whether it's actual uh, pornography or just sleazy, mm. uh, is and, and again, there's some that are exceptions to this and are actually like well made, but the general vibe and the general aesthetic is um, everything that isn't sleazy, everything that isn't nudity or sex or somehow connects to those two things, uh, is just filler until we get there. Yeah, yeah. It's an excuse to get to it. It gets the characters from this place to that place so that they can have sex. It gets the character from this place to that place so that they can take their clothes off. I- I'm not saying it's great art. I'm not saying it's it's necessarily uh, uh, intelligent, but it serves a function, doesn't it? Mm. So when you remove the only reason all those filler scenes are there, all you've got left is filler. And it feels like filler. It yeah, feels yeah. like they didn't put a it, lot of effort into the humor or the performances, it, it, definitely yeah, the production design. It highlights how cheap and ill thought out 
all of those smutty movies are. I mean, we knew that anyway, but uh, when you, yeah, when you remove the sex out of it, it's, it, 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 all you're left with is nothing. There's just nothing left behind. Yeah, no, it's, and it's rough. And again, I, I, the show doesn't seem to have been, it's, I doubt that they intended to actually have a nudity or actual sex scenes in it, but it also feels like it's trying to fill that void anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just determined to only go halfway. And while if they'd gone all the way, it would have just been smut, at least it would have been smut. <laughs> and I just, I just, we're, we're sort of this halfway thing where we're kind of a real sci fi show and we're kind of smut and we just refuse to go there. The one bit I really liked in this episode is there's a bit where uh, Poppy Tapa finally meets a guy, a nice guy, and they're going to go and they're going to have sex and. They're very excited about it. And the guy is like, hey, listen, it seems like we're getting pretty intimate here. Would you mind if I assumed my real form? And she's like, by all means. And then he turns into like a a pretty unconvincing but kind of cute large CGI octopus. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And she's and initially and she's not horrified. She's like oh, this is going to be awesome. Because they're from the future. They probably meet aliens all the time. So it's not even weird. So she's like, yeah, this is great. I'm super stoked about all of this. Let's do this. And uh, he's like, great. But she's like, oh, but you got to get protection. I appreciate that. That is a good message. So the the squid is like, uh, okay, I'll be right back. And then she waits and waits and waits and he never comes back. And then finally she like gives up and finds her friends and they're all just like drinking like the special drink of the day. And uh, she's like, okay, I'll have one of those. I'm like, oh, this is really, really good. What's in this? Oh, you know, it's uh, it's got some uh, some uh, bourbon and uh, some coke, and I uh, threw in uh, uh, some squid. And she's like, wait, what? Yeah, I just found a squid over there by the condom machine. So I pureed it and gave it to you in a drink. Uh, womp womp. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make any sense even as a joke because it, you have to concoct this narrative of the bartender seeing the squid mm. and going like oh that would be awesome in a drink and not like why is there a flying squid like the 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 the, the secret backstory is more interesting than the gag i don't know i just don't know uh, well uh, again, I understand the frustration gag. Like, uh, they're going to go out of their way to stymie this person's uh, sexual advances. Yeah. And I feel like when they do that, it's like, I fell in love with a squid and we're going to, like, kill the squid and put it in a drink. There's, like, a weird sort of maybe absurdist uh-huh. bent to that. But otherwise, no. Nah. Sure. Nah, let's not... The last episode is a double-sized episode. It's actually like a big, like, season finale. Mm. Uh, And it opens with a pretty funny gag, which is, uh, for this show anyway, uh, everyone on the crew really tied one on last night. And everyone wakes up and finds out that they did something really atrocious. So, for example, uh, the captain finds out that she slept with Cropper. Mm. Uh, And uh, Poppy Tapa... Doesn't just find out, she wakes up in bed with him. Right. Poppy Topoff wakes up and they're surrounded by like birthday party paraphernalia and she asks the computer what she did and the computer's like well you got really drunk and you beamed down to earth and you crashed a five-year-old's birthday party and you stole the cake and presents 
and then you you beamed to the Tower of London and you stole the crown jewels mm. and you tried to sell them on eBay. And I'm like, okay, that's actually kind of funny. I, I kind of like <laughs> the idea of someone like abusing the transporter that way. It's just to mm. just do like shitty college stuff. Like that that was kind of funny, I actually thought. But uh, this is the episode where, for the first time, Claudia Christian's character actually seems to appreciate. Like it's, it opens with her mourning all of the species that they're that humans have murdered over the years, because well, this is the past, and a lot of them are still around. And this is before, uh, before they're murdered. Yeah, the, the, and this is like a new wrinkle in the show. And uh, it, I think if this was a real show, they would have done this a little bit more. Like, actually, not just had them be uh, horny and hungry all the time, but actually, like, really sad and depressed and full of despair a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, they've done terrible things. Mm. Like, uh, they don't really go there until this episode, but they do go there in this episode. Uh, And in this episode, a couple of things are going on. Uh, In addition to everyone figuring out what they did. Hey, Luca just bit my Mm. toe. Uh, In addition to trying to figure out what happened the night before. Uh, they are also uh, trying to figure out who on the ship uh, is a saboteur. Some strange things are afoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've also finally uh, found themselves the Reptid ship. Uh, they went back in time chasing Reptids who were going to use this emotion bomb on early humanity so that they wouldn't grow into this unstoppable force. It's kind of a reverse version of Star Trek First Contact. Um, and there's a really sad scene where they... They they corner the ship, and the ship and the reptids are relatively peaceful. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reptids are like, "Listen, uh, we, we we surrender. Please don't fire." And Clyde Chris is like, "We won't. Just tell us what happened and and give us the antidote." And the guy says, "Well, <sighs> uh, the bomb went off while you were traveling through time, and as a result, it got like accelerated. So you're not experiencing normal human emotions. You're experiencing." like 10 times as much emotions as you're technically supposed to and we don't have a cure for that and that's kind of an interesting little twist uh and uh kind of like it i can't i think it kind of undo- undoes a lot of the gag that they're not just sort of unused to regular human emotions that they have to deal with, yeah. with sort of this heightened thing now you're adding mythology to it uh, yeah. I, I don't know how i feel about I'll, that I'll let it go since it's the last episode of the show ever. Uh, and uh, <laughs> well, also, and then and then uh, they're just like, okay, well, listen, we're gonna we're gonna talk to you. We're gonna figure out a way uh, out of this. And then the ship starts firing on them. And Claudia Christian's like, I'm not doing this. Stop it! Like, turn off the the cannons. And the cannons keep firing, mm. and they blow up all the reptids and they kill like two thousand of them. And it's really super sad. Uh, and the hologram uh, tells them, I figured it all out. It's actually Dottie's android side has been sabotaging the ship. Uh, so you need to all get off the ship and let me uh, stay here with Dottie. Uh, and I can solve all your problems if you just get off the ship. Wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so they do. And they're all stranded on a planet. While the hologram, turns out that was a saboteur all the time, has taken over the ship. It's got a couple of crew members. And um, it turns out that the uh, uh, Reg, Reg the maintenance guy, oh, right, is right, unexpectedly right. still on the ship as well, but he's trapped in a toilet. And the last thing in the episode is Reg trapped in a toilet, being told by a communicator that he's got to find a way to like recapture the ship. 
quoting the Italian job and says, I've got an idea. So basically, they took the season finale of Star Trek Voyager season one. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah, where the where the where the Voyager the the Voyager Starcraft gets uh, uh, taken over by the Kazon. Remember the, the Kazon? Yeah, of, they, they were. I re- vaguely remember the Kazon. They, they were important for a second there. Yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, and the only people left on board the ship to take it back were a hologram and a serial killer. That was a cool idea, actually. <laughs> uh, but um, so yeah, we'll never get the resolution of that particular uh, storyline. Star Hike is no more. They was resurrected as a 4D experience, uh, which I can't find much information on. Uh, but by God, it happened. It's like uh, um, 4D? How? <laughs> What, what, I don't what, know. What do I'm mean? just looking at IMDb. Yeah. The creator of the the creator, one of the co-creators of the show, Andrew Diamond. I mm. uh, like. Let me see where this. Like, I, I honestly. Let me see if I can find any any more accurate. Uh, in 2012, there was something called Star Hike First Flight. 4D and the description and it's very simple a 4D stereoscopic adventure on board the Nemesis shuttlecraft as Daphne the ship's computer takes cadets on their first flight around the galaxy with the reptids setting a trap this journey will be something the cadets never forget and Claudia Christian came back for it oh and so did Simon and so did Simon Lewis as Reg and Sue Witheridge as the voice of the ship computer I don't, I don't know. Uh, oh, oh, what? Okay. Um, yeah. How how did this cheap-ass smut show get its own Universal Studios spectacular? I don't think this it's is... a Universal Studios, but it might be, it might just be like one of those Oculus Rift things. Maybe so. Um, you know, I honestly don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, th- this, I, I don't know. I've never heard mention of this show. And, you know, I've, I've, no. I've run it a lot of cult sci-fi circles and star hike has never been brought up uh i so i can't really get a line as to what its cult audience might be like it doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would have one it's not creative enough or funny enough or weird enough to warrant it but you know people have attached themselves to lesser shows perhaps just just guessing here there was enough clout, like over the years, enough of uh, like legend surrounding Star Hike that they could, you know, get Claudia Christian to come back. Maybe there was something about working on this show that made them feel very kind of warm and fuzzy, and they really bonded in some kind of special way. Hmm. I I learned from uh, uh, Wikipedia that uh, 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 Jonathan Brown. Uh, was making this show and he had to go through like the usual medical procedures to ensure the show. Uh, yeah. Which is very common practice to make sure, you know, everybody's in reasonable health before they start something so they can pay for the right, right amount of insurance. And yeah. in going yeah, Jonathan through Jonathan Brown, who was one of the show's creators. Yeah. yeah. In going through that physical, they found that he had a brain tumor which he didn't know was there. So they discovered it while he was working on the show. So he actually credits working on the show for saving his life. They actually were able to operate on him and, and remove it, and he's okay now. Uh, well, so for that reason alone, I'm glad Star Hike exists. Yeah, like, it, it, sa- it saved a guy's life. Fine, that's wonderful. I'm glad he's still around. I'm glad uh, someone is alive. Uh, and perhaps that sort of 
sort of put a put a a little bit of a filter over Star Hike, where everyone was sort of grateful for like the life it saved and grateful to be together and. That, I think, can be the only reason why this might have some sort of cult audience behind it. There might be some sort of extra narrative story about Starhike that I'm, we're just not keying into by watching the episodes themselves. Well, I'm not sure there is much of a cult behind Starhike. I, I really, I'm sure there are people who saw it. I'm sure there are people who like it. Uh, but I, I think the fact that we don't hear from any of them uh, suggests that this show is like any of the other shows that we've covered, which is to say the vast majority of them do not have a cult following. Mm. Uh, some people watched them when they were on. Some people uh, never knew they existed. Uh, and that's mostly where it, where it all lies. Um, it, it, it looks like... My, my, my parents always had this like theory. They, they, they had this backhanded compliment they would sometimes uh, give movies. Mm. Uh, and it was this. They said, well, it looks like it was fun to make. Right. <laughs> like the, and the that's how I feel with Star Hike. The actors are having more everyone fun than please, the audience. Everyone of the actors clearly seems to be having a good time. It looks like it was a reasonably fun, chill set. Like I said, Claudia Christian is clearly enjoying uh, sort of uh, you know, letting the air out of the sci-fi type roles that she'd been playing for many years. Mm. Uh, but they're they're all let down by the show's cheapness like the audio is often really lousy like in the middle of a scene there'll be this audio that is just clearly recorded at a different level than the rest of the audio in the scene there is and this may be the the biggest uh sin of the show by the way Mm -hmm. uh the music it gets a little better as the show goes on but for the first several episodes in particular, it is wall-to-wall generic incidental music. It doesn't tell the story. Oftentimes, it's directly at odds with the scene that it's actually behind it, because it's going to mm. be this kind of light and bouncy, yet da 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 <laughs> as if like that's going to tell us that this is funny. And I'm like, no, the jokes will do that. But we can't even pay attention to the jokes, because the music is constant, and really distracting, and isn't helping the story along. It's terrible music. <laughs> I, 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 maybe in a vacuum it's good, but it's it has to work in conjunction with the show, and it doesn't, unfortunately. It actually actively harms the show, so that even if this was like a relative... And maybe they're trying to hide more like audio problems. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't shock me. But... I would be more able to engage with the characters, even as as superficial as many of them are, if I could just be in a room with them without elevator music playing loudly. <laughs> uh, it's a good point, and I I chalked up the the bad music mix to just sort of the the medium through which we got it. This was on Tubi. They don't uh, necessarily clean the shows up; they just have whatever they have. So I'm guessing this was like a, a, a copy of a copy. It was just a little bit degraded by the time it got to us. But you do raise a, an excellent point that the yeah the in, intrusive music was just pr- pretty insufferable. Um, just mo- most things about the show are pretty insufferable. The humor is not funny. Uh, the characters are even if the actors are really trying to sell it, they're usually overplaying it a little bit too much to the point of them being really obnoxious. Uh, 
apart from the one episode where there's like a little bit of a down moment where they're aging into the future, there isn't a whole, there isn't yeah. like another emotional beat other than this weird frantic over-sexualization of all these characters. And that's really dull. Uh, if if you want Claudia Christian in a more interesting science fiction series, first of all, she's in Babylon 5, but if you've seen Babylon 5, look up uh, the Anne Manx audio adventure series. She played this uh, she played this like futuristic space detective in the series of audio dramas uh, where uh, where she played Anne Manx and I, I got one of them a long time ago just by chance and it's like, oh, Claudia Christian, she's doing more science fiction stuff. She clearly is very fond of the genre. She knows like to pl- how to play a science fiction character. Mm. I think that's why she's the one who seems most comfortable with this. I think she kind of knows what she's getting into. Everything else is just death. I, this was so difficult to get. This there's only six episodes. They're thirty minutes apiece, yeah. and it was hard to get through these things. I agree. Yeah. So uh, when it all comes uh, when it all comes down to it, mm. was Star Hike canceled too soon? <laughs> uh, Lord, no. No, um, no, it was not. No, there, no, there's no, there's not enough promise here. It's not one of those things where, oh, well, if they took this premise and did blah. Okay, that you started with an interesting premise. Make a different show now. Uh, the, yeah. the show they made is just not worth salvaging. I, I would actually recommend. I, I think that uh, the the best way to go about this because I think raising enough money to do this show right is going to be incredibly difficult, even under the best circumstances. Right. Uh, I would actually think that if you wanted to keep Star Hike going, if you wanted to capitalize on again. A very strong setup. There's a good elevator pitch to this show. Mm. Do a book. There you go. Do a That's really, really elaborate Ra- novel of some kind. Like, write a book. Make it a series. That could be fun. But, like, let's introduce the characters and their world in a way that you don't... I wonder if maybe the show's, like, over-reliance on humor might have been a reaction to the budget that we have and our concern that it can only be taken so seriously. Maybe that was a factor. I don't know. But I feel like you can take this... There's inherent comedy in the premise of, like, a soulless society of conquering killers suddenly experiencing, uh, you know... Compassion for the first time. Compassion and, and lust and gluttony and all of these things that they thought they were beyond and now are... Uh, cannot control uh-huh. there's inherent humor there you're gonna find jokes yeah uh but if you take it seriously the jokes will come organically and you're gonna have a stronger piece of material overall i think yeah, yeah. so if you tell me that they took the basic premise of star hike and they renamed the characters because we cannot take them seriously and you let it be funny but you let it get there naturally instead of forcing it I will read that book. That sounds like a fun book. <laughs> and surely it's been done. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the world of yeah. science fiction literature is, is vast and you know beyond my understanding. Sure. But like at that point, when everything's been done, you might as well just do it. Hmm. You know, like, you know, so um, and, and you've laid a claim to it. You already released Star Hike. So why the hell not? Um, but anyway, that is it for Cancel Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for being a patron in particular, if you're a patron. We're incredibly grateful to you. You can become a patron over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. In addition to getting uh, episodes uh, without commercials, 
Mm-hmm. You also have access potentially to a wide variety of exclusive shows, including shows dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek. We've done one podcast per episode of the entire original series, the entire animated series, the first five movies, and the first two seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, and we're only going to keep going. So, in addition to that, and trivia nights, and shows about Batman, and the Academy Award-nominated uh, movies from every year ever, uh, we got a lot going on over at patreon.com slash network, and I'm incredibly grateful to everybody who is a patron and is considering becoming one. Uh, if you would like to talk about Star Hike, did you watch Star Hike when it was on TV? Uh, I would love to hear from you. I, I, oh my, I will be shocked if we get anybody who wrote in having seen Star Hike. Well, we would love, well, maybe if you found it on streaming, but I'm curious if you actually saw it when it was on TV. But in any case, feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear about Star Hike or anything else you want to talk about. We might read your letter on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. box for people, for people who prefer to mail the old-fashioned yeah, way? Send us a letter. We like letters. Uh, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And next time on Cancel Too Soon, it's finally happening. <laughs> it, it it emerged. <laughs> Just in time for, for the 4th of July. Oh my god. We're finally going to be covering one of the most legendary shows from the Phalanist Network in television history. <laughs> the Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. We found him. <laughs> Thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you to all of our, our listeners, our patrons. A few people uh, uh, guided us in the right direction. We were able to find him. We can finally cover one of the most one of ill-advised shows. Re- really notoriously bad from the yeah. UPN, one of our favorite networks. It, it's finally happening. Happy birthday, America. <laughs> Secret Diary Desmond Pfeiffer is coming up next on Cancel Too Soon. So thank you everybody for listening. We will catch you next time. That's a wrap. See you next season. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.